I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Well, thank you, Claire, um, for inviting us. Um, and thank you, Helen, for asking me to be your interlocutor. It's a very um, great pleasure for me. I've read uh, quite a long time ago now um, Helen's first story, Four Bare Legs in a Bed. And um, it was a revelation um, of the gifts that she has that have continued and grown and changed with time um, in the, and are in evidence in this new collection. And there is. Um, the extraordinary precision of observation, the combination of a kind of poignant understanding of human feelings combined with an extraordinary, almost uncompromising honesty that very few of us achieve either emotionally or on the page. And um, superb craftsmanship. And we thought we would talk a bit about that um, to begin with in a way, because there are sort of certain choices within the small scale of the I mean, the supposed small scale of the short story that Helen continually makes. Well, Cogfosters is her sixth collection. And in the intro to the introduction, she did a sort of mock interview with herself in Bunch of Fives, which is the bumper edition of the first five collections that she wrote. And in that, she compares a good short story to a core sample and, and comments, think how much a geologist can learn from a core sample. You've got absolutely everything you need to know about the history, the geography, the inhabitants, and social conditions of the area in a wonderfully concise form. And I think this is me now. It's also like being an archaeologist and moving across the richard Laird site of experience, delving and examining and following the clues back in time and across the field, laterally. And there's always a sort of sense of depth, foreground and depth, in um, Helen's work. And three years ago, when um, you were in conversation with Michelle here, um, you, were, you, explored, you expanded this image a little more, this core sample, into the idea of the Chinese flower that unfurls slowly and shows its sort of wonderful fronds and colors when you drop it in water, and it just begins slowly to, to expand. And you say that that, too, is very much like the kind of short stories you want to write. So I wanted to ask you first, because um, Helen's going to read um, fairly soon, um, just after a few comments, and I will too. 
So I wanted to ask you a bit about, because one of the striking things about your stories is the amount of complex forms that you choose. You have wonderful counterpoints of voices, you have diaries, you have different, all the time, different, different invented ways of getting at the story. Well, that seems to me most of the fun of the story, the anti-boredom element. <laughs> so you, you have an idea and then you circle around it waiting to see what voice do you tell it in or how can it be told? How can you tell it in a way that won't bore yourself? Um, this, this latest collection, I've been dividing them up more, a bit, a bit like um, tabloid newspapers with subheadings and, and <laughs> to make it easy, quick little bites to read. And sometimes how to show, how to enact time um, without making the reader sort of go through it mm. um, in real time. So showing the digital clock yes. um, at various points in the story to take you through a night. There's a story with underground stations. You're on, you're, you're on the journey from one station to another, but it stops at, at each one, it, it, the story is divided up. And it, it gives you a, a nice natural break when you're writing it too. You're thinking, good, now I can, that's, that's a pause, a breath, and then I can change the subject and move into there. And, and there's a recipe in there because that's another way of dividing something mm. up. The way, I suppose, associative structures that aren't artificial. But did you, manage, you managed to therefore get in lots of voices. That's in a very deft yes. way. There's no sort of, and that you've and you've talked in the past also about the speed and quickness and lightness of the storytelling in the short form. But do you achieve that by cutting a lot, or is it just such? Yes, <laughs> an awful lot. Yes, um, and sort of drafting. Um, well, when I say no, I don't. I don't do this boiling down business. I think I remember reading V.S. Pritchett. Apparently, he started off with almost a stockpot full of a story, and then boil down and boil down as he put it to you know the the youth. But I, no, I don't write reams, and then mm -hmm. I don't usually find I'm cutting mm -hmm. a thousand of words or anything. It's more, it's more shape and balance and thinking that needs to be there. Oh, and that's something needs to go on down there. You have a lot of references to music, and I think, I mean, that's been going back, that's going back quite a way, actually, you started, I mean, from the very start. And I think there's, and you said also at one point about storytelling, that um, it, it was like you were practicing a Chopin mazurka, and you said oh. that at some point you, you know, it was all triumph and glory and high spirits, and then one note, just one note, not even, a, you know, a chord or a bar, one note changed the mood. Yes. Well, you, <laughs> you said that. that. I forgot. I, <laughs> I, I remember um, trying, yes, I was trying to, it's just this, as you say, it tips it. it suddenly the whole, the whole of life shifts and it's tragic. Mm, yes. Um, well, there are lots of different sh shades of mood. I mean, the, the cake story, which is called Kithara, um, it, it, which is structured as a recipe for a lemon drizzle cake for a daughter's birthday shifts from sort of sweet reminiscence to really poignant. And the, the way in which you show love is really marvelous. The love between the mother and the child um, without ever talking about it. I mean, there's just in the scenes that you evoke. So I think that this emotional texture is something that is rather musical. I mean, we actually have a, there's a sense of the music of the story that come, reaches us. The well, timing again, yeah. I, mean, mm. I guess, yes. yes. And also those, um, 
those areas. I, I like to smuggle things in. I want a very everyday, apparently boring, mm -hmm. not, not boring surface, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. a, apparently sort of very ordinary, average, um, oh, what's mm -hmm. so special about that? And under cover of that, you can smuggle in all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think. Yes, but you're also very, very, I mean, you're very shrewd and perceptive about changes, and that takes me really to the theme of, to introduce your, um, your reading, and that is that in this, you've always been a tremendous social observer, but in this book, you've widened that social observation to a kind of larger political canvas, in a way. Uh, to, to myself, this was my um, State of the Nation collection, but I kept that really quiet. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, and also, I've been reading, I, I just felt so ignorant. About five years or so ago, I started reading more German literature because I realised I didn't, we, we hadn't at school done any German, and I'd somehow not read it. Reading about Russia as well, and Pushkin, and reading some of that, and wanting to... I've got two stories. One's my history of uh, Germany, <laughs> summed up in a story called Berlin. The other one, a man comes to mend the freezer, and that's the history of Russia, because he's... <laughs> he's um, but mm. it's, it's, as you say, it's, it's doing it through amplification, taking a detail and then... Mm. But, but not... Now I've blown my cup. Yeah, I would never say this except for Marina saying it, you see, but I just keep quiet and just say that it's about the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but, but actually, I, I think it's a bit of a shame that, and I kind of, you know, with these sort, this sort of format, is that, you know, when you are a subtle writer and a sensitive writer about the texture of emotions, it's sort of slightly annoying when someone comes along like me and sort of makes you say that it's, you know, state of the nation or, you know, state of Russia or something. Because that, that's too, it's, it's sort of walking in your heavy boots on a kind of new growing, beautiful, you know, pl plants coming through. Well, no, so it's nice that, you know, it wasn't just about the freezer in the end. <laughs> yeah. sometimes it can, I sometimes think, perhaps I've left it 20 years too long. To, to, mm. They'll just think it's about the freezer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for suggesting. Anyway, water's dropping into the top salad drawer from somewhere and freezing hard, I told him. Then it melts and freezes again. I'd gone away at this point and put in a few calls to work if it hadn't been for Nigel instructing me to stick with the process throughout. Now, this woman, she's taken time off work. She's had a knee operation. She's waiting in for the freezer man. Her husband, Nigel, is usually the one. He's, he's, um, she's, she's a successful businesswoman. He's an academic. And um, he, he's usually the one that waits in. But this time, she is. So I'd have gone away at this point and put in a few calls to work if it hadn't been for Nigel instructing me to stick with the process throughout. His reasoning was that it helped if you were able to explain to them what had gone wrong next time it happened. And the only way to understand what the problem was was to go through the whole boring process with them in the first place and ask questions and try to understand it. He himself took notes, dated, before he forgot. He had a special file for them. Nigel's an academic. He liked writing things down. His last published article was Islamic Historians in 8th and 9th Century Mesopotamia and their approach to historical truth. I haven't read it yet, but I know it'll be brilliant, like all his work. Anyway, I resigned myself to doing things his way this time, seeing as it was once in a blue moon that I was the one hanging around. And then a bit later on, I do earn more than Nigel, of course, considerably more. My business has gone from strength to strength in the last decade, while the terms of his university employment, his tenure and so on, have become increasingly insecure and ill-paid. He hasn't got as far up the academic greasy pole as he might have either, though he doesn't seem to mind. Maybe he'll write a surprise bestseller once he's retired, I tell him. 
You're not supposed to say so, but I'm very careful about employing women. This means in practical terms that I won't take on a woman who earns less than her partner. I need to be 100% sure it's true of everyone on my payroll that their job comes first in the pecking order at home. No women with alpha male husbands. I simply can't afford them. And then last of all, she has three stepdaughters called Georgia, Verity and Cleo. And that's another thing about stories. You can use names. You're not exactly being heavy-handed, but each of those names... Mm mean something so if you wanted to georgia locks horns with me about wicked capitalism now and then she's doing politics history maths and economics a levels clever girl so it's good to hear the arguments liberal capitalism in the uk and the states has produced shocking inequality she rages regulation is toothless and it's getting worse not better correct i say germany is the way to go she says corporate capitalism more equality and a workforce which moves in tandem with management rather than automatically against it and, of course, that sounds very attractive. Yes, Germany is a more equal society, I say to Georgia, but in order to be that way, it's also a more traditional and less diverse society, swings and roundabouts. Did you know they have a special word for mothers who work over there? Rabenmutter, or raven mothers. That's how conservative they are. And so we go to and fro. We're making history as we go along, of course, and that's the truth of it. We live in time. Mm. Do you think that um, you, I mean, it, it seems to me sometimes that, obviously in that story we see many strands. We see your, your, your tragic comedy of the sexes, in a way. I mean, there's a lot of that in the, in the whole collection. We see your concern with the, his, these historical changes, which are gender changes, which are political changes. But there's also this fridge that's sort of dripping and thawing, and, the, and he fixes it. Now, I don't, again, want to be too heavy, but it seems to me that quite a lot of the stories actually are structured like poems, that they have a kind of mistress image that creates, well, that creates the... That this is a, you know, I mean, T.S. Eliot used to call it, you know, the old-fashioned term, the objective correlative. And, of course, you're very light about it. There's n absolutely no heavy-handedness. But, but something about this deliquescing fridge, you know, that's... That, that's cured by the that's mended by the man who says lies when he looks at a history book. Yes, that's interesting. Is looking back, I, I mean, I was before the time of creative writing, really. You know, sort of yes. there weren't any, um, or maybe there were, but I didn't go to them. Um, but what I did when I, I it was poetry then, really. Mm. People mm. used to have poetry workshops or, or poetry readings. I, I used to go to them and listen and be very interested. And poets always seem to have more time to talk about their work than other people, <laughs> but maybe they were so less um, verbiage. But they, they, um, they were very good at describing how they wrote a poem, how they structured it. Mm. And sometimes I'd think, yes, you could put that together like that. Mm. Um, and I remember once yeah, studying the sonnet form mm. and seeing the two different sorts of sonnets. Mm. How one is with, mm. uh, you know, quatrains and couplet, and the mm. other is a shift of eight and six, mm. and thought, ah, of course you'd have mm. that. that would, one would be good for one mm. sort of idea, and mm. one would. It's 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 enjoying form mm. actually. Yeah. Because one of the striking sort of poetic ideas in the book is that the collection is titled by places, 
It's called Cockfosters, and I want you to comment on why it's called Cockfosters <laughs> or how, how it's called. Um, but then it has, uh, you know, Kithura, as I mentioned, is the recipe story. It has uh, Moscow, and it has the major ambitious closing story, very long, Berlin. And then it has a That's one... That's structured one, on the ring cycle, which yes, is um, yes. rather ambitious. Yeah, yes, no, no. and then Arizona, which, of course, is a metaphor. Yes. And, uh, meta and it's, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Arizona as a metaphor? Because it's very interesting, I think, what you've done with that. Well, Arizona, um, it's partly because, uh, again, I was going to take this most unpopular subject, the menopause. The mo someone's got to do it. And um, <laughs> uh, there was a, somebody, um, well, actually, John Freeman for his magazine, have you got any ideas? And, uh, have you, uh, I'm doing something on the theme of arrival. And I, was, I wasn't trying to bamboozle him, but I, uh, as he said that, and I thought, well, I'd better not sort of pitch it as, ooh, it's a story about the men. And I said, I've got one I'm working on called Arizona, which, <laughs> which would throw one off the scent of it. You'd think cowboys. And, <laughs> and actually, that was, that was a, a main um, image in that. I'll, I'll just yes, do. very briefly on that one, because... Yeah. Um, but this is poetic, very poetic metaphor. I mean, it's, it's, so one doesn't expect it because one's been reading stories in which, which take place in the place of the title of the story. Yes, I envisage a new state as being like Arizona, said May at last. Arizona, said Liz, nonplussed. Yes, shrugged May. What, a desert? No, not that. I see it as, it might be Phoenix, Tucson, why Arizona? I see it as arriving in another state, said May slowly. Brilliantly lit and level and filled with dependable sunshine. Oh, in fact, I can't quite believe in it, said May. This promise of... She stopped again and fell silent. So that's it, said Liz. We're about to emigrate. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to shift the idea of it, you know, yeah. it's because at the, I just, whenever I do read on the subject, mm -hmm. it'll be an essay by someone who has had a terrible time and they've gone mad. Or, yes, yes. You know, they've <laughs> gone and it yes. seems, uh, yes, yes. we've got daughters, mm -hmm. we want to... Yes. But, uh, but it's also the level of honesty again that's very, very moving and very striking as the women talk about it. It's, it's not, it's not agitprop at all. It's really kind of grappling with the... Yeah, you know, the experience. One feels what you've been you know, you've been meditating about these things. You've been thinking about them hard, with with time, which is great. I mean, Thank you, Marina. Um, <laughs> now that you've asked me, I, I want to ask you. <laughs> I think that's all right. But I want you to talk about cockfusters just quickly before right, we lose the, the subject. Yes, yes, the yes. title of your book. And then you'll talk about your yeah. title. Okay, all yes. right. <laughs> um, cockfusters. Well, I had been going to call the collection um, "We Live in Time," and at another point, "Verticals and Horizontals," but. Then Cockfosters is very memorable. It's one of those funny English names that just makes people smile without realising it. And then I found a, a joke by Max Miller, um, who was the great comedian of the 30s, 40s, 50s. And his Piccadilly line joke, Max Miller's joke, was he's sitting on the underground, he's on a train, and a woman comes and sits next to him with her shopping bag and her umbrella and sits down, and then she falls asleep. And... Um, and the train rackets along, rackets along through the stations, and then there's a sudden abrupt halt, and she starts awake, and grabs for her a bag and umbrella, and says, oh, is this Cockfosters? Max says, no, lady, it's Miller's. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a very English joke. <laughs> you have to think about it. <laughs> yes, it's sort of surprising, because one doesn't associate you with filth. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you are. There you are, yes. Now, Marina. Yeah, uh, yeah OK, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, the title, um, Fly Away yeah, Home. Yes, well, it's a nursery rhyme. Yes. yes. Mm. From Lady Bird. Lady Bird, Lady Bird, Fly Away Home. Your house is on fire, your children are gone. Um, and and I was this originally your title story? Because I think the one you start with was, was the title you, you actually liked most. Well, I think it was going to... The, the first story is called Out of the Burning House. And the idea, the protagonist, who's sort of in a nursing home, a, ma a man dying, thinks about what he would have taken out of his house if it had been burning. Mm. Um, and he doesn't have any children, so he... But that does... And, and so... But, and the burning, the, the burning house is, was an image for me in, throughout many of the stories because there are some refugee stories and there are some um, conflagration sort of inter internal stories, you know, the burning relationship. Fly away home, the... Yes, I... And the editor liked it. It's not the title of a story, though, in the in the book. There isn't one, but there's another one called Lady Bird, Lady Bird. Well, that and that's yeah, that's based on a ballad. Um, I, I, for some reason, need to work with existing material. I, I can't, I can't quite. I mean, some of them are original stories, but I tend to sort of like the idea of taking something from the past. I'd quite like to talk to you about that too, because you do that as well. You've got various stories that relate to but uh, but the the other one the one that's called ladybird ladybird is actually based on one of the famous child ballads that were collected in um which is the cruel mother oh, and, and but it's very buried in my story you can't really tell that it's about that but but that's what it's it well, was, that was the spark of it and in that the the child who has died um killed by the cruel mother um cries from beyond the grave but you and give it a more, more hopeful. Cast yes. Well, she in the comes. Story. The baby comes back. I mean, that in the story, the, the voice baby comes is on the end of the phone yes, as well. It's yeah. Just, yes. Mm, the baby comes back um, in the dress that she buys in a vintage shop. Yes. Yeah. It just came to me. Someone asked me to write a gothic story, so I, it came to me. But um. Well, you. I think that with with you, ha you've got twenty stories in this collection, and it's interesting because I've just got the nine mm. and mm. twenty, which are so varied and various. And I think this is one of the problems with why short stories are, apparent, are seen as unpopular. They're not really, but they are harder to describe, um, harder to sort of sum up in a review, and harder to sort of say to someone, well, you've got to read that. It's about, well, you can't say. You have to say 20 different things. But I'd say with, with, your, with these stories here, there were quite a few that were objects and places which exercised power sort of a numerous power over over events and brought the past or even the future actually that was a, that, the, the one with the baby uh, that that was a, a creature not yet there yes, but, yes. Um, not not ghost stories exactly but, but, but allowing for something some extra edge one of the things that you really can do in a short story and you do it in several with, dream, with dreams and and that is, you can very quickly move from reality to unreality, and it's not fantasy. Mm. It's, not, it's not really fantasy at all. I mean, you're not in the world of sort of gothic, but you, because you don't have to sustain it over an immense length of a book. Exactly. I mean, if a, a novel, you know, if you're going to have constant unreal scenes, it's going to be, well, I think technically it's very tricky to bring that off. You start having to have characters that are logical from one scene to another. Whereas in a short story, you can glance between Yes. dream and the unsettledness of experience and yes. back into the, what might be the real experience you can't quite tell so I find it a very very it's very well disposed for that the, the form 
um, you don't really have to prove anything in it because it's, it, gives it, it gives you its reality sort of straight up, you know, like in a glass. You drink it and it's, that's its reality for that short period. Yes. Well, this, once I've <coughs> I could remember a tortoiseshell handbag, a blue plastic comb with a tall gilt cast, glass, a, a hat made of rabbit skins, and that sort of magical thinking in the Joan Didion sense. That the, when she, when, do you remember her of the year of magical thinking? Yes. She, mm, it was morning. to do with clothes mm. and shoes and the mm. wardrobe, I think. But this, mm. this, this is throughout, it gives a real vitality to uncanny numinous places, as in worm wrangling, which is somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Um, a cottage and garden haunted by a man's former lovers. Yes, so that's, that's a Bluebeard story. That's a, yes, yes exactly. it's a blue, it's, but it's meant to be a nice Bluebeard story. She <laughs> thinks he's a murderer, but in fact, he's not. No, it's not. benign. <laughs> it's benign. It's a benign murderer. He's not a, not, not a murderer, no, a benign, a benign Bluebeard. It's rather um, unfashionable these days. <laughs> and the questions of maternity again, in um, the difference in the dose. The urban mm. gardener mm. who adopts a baby girl who's spirited yeah. off at 18 by a man estranged and has a baby girl mm. who mm. at 10 they go to a journey across the ocean mm. and desert and the end of the story we're left in suspense on the doorstep. That seems to be a theme that comes up again mm. and again. I mean, mothers, the, mothers I mean, I think, yes, I mean, I think, you know, both of us do share that very strongly, the, um, the sort of anguish and whatever around the, the, hev the reverberations around motherhood and daughterhood were both ways. For me, and I, and I, I sort of recognize it in you too, this is also a dramatic arena for looking at rather uncomfortable things. Mm. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it, it, this is kind of, I mean, it's not, well, I don't, all I don't savage fairy tales are Yeah, things, and it, yes, and it's, 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 it's things that you, if, if I was writing an essay about, you know, motherhood, as I've just done for Medea, which I found really hard in the current LRB, I found it really hard because actually, I mean, it's good that the myth of Medea is absolutely wild phosphorus. It is so hard to look at. You know, you really can't bear it. It's just blazingly horrible. And that's why Rachel Cusk actually ducks it. She doesn't have her kill the children because it's really unbearable. You know, so if you're writing an essay, you don't want to go there. But somehow when it's a short story, you can go there. And I think there's a kind of a desire to by being honest, by trying to look at the hard thing about adopting a child is my last story, mm. um, which is Rapunzel, it's a Rapunzel yes. story, um, is um, you can actually say rather dark things in an honest way, but that somehow you're also warding it off. By, by, mm. And I think a lot of Greek tragedy is about that. You go to the extreme of the horror, yes. so that actually, you know, it's an insurance in it not yeah, happening. Yes. yes, you won't marry your mother. You yes. won't kill your father by accident. Yes. You won't kill your children because of this. You you've know, said point. the unspeakable. Yeah, and you've said the unspeakable, yeah. and therefore, it, you know, it can be conjured away. Yes, and, and that's. Sort of, I think that's one of the reasons for writing fiction, actually. Yes, because it's different from writing a biography of a serial yeah. killer or something. No, no, it's a, it's a yeah. useful. It's a talisman. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's a strength. Yes, yes, <coughs> yes exactly. Right. Yes. Uh, these these fairy tale echoes. They're not fairy tale. You've got. Three, two, no, maybe two fairy stories in here. Melusine yeah, under the ocean checking her <laughs> eye shell and um, a Chatelaine in the making where yeah. the wallpaper comes alive as in that Colette opera, L'Enfant et les Sorties. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, she yes. escapes on a gondola. On the <laughs> but, um, but mostly, the, I think the, the, the most powerful echoes of the fairy tales are where um, the one, for instance, where the, the refugee, the mother, finds her child by tearing the photo. You would like to describe the, 
Well, that was actually in the newspaper. Yes, that, that I, I found wondered, that in I the newspaper. Yeah. Yes, and it does seem to me to be extraordinary that a mother had lost the children in the bombing. Uh, they'd got scattered. And she had a photograph of herself, and she thought of giving it to the aid workers. She cut it into little pieces, and she gave the aid workers and said, please pin it to your lapel. Just, and then, just little pieces yes, of little face. tiny pieces. Mm. And I mean, it seems incredible. But um, that she did fight, the child said, look, mummy's eye. Yes. Incredible. So, so that's it like the breadcrumbs. Yes, the breadcrumbs, yes, yes. The, mm, yes, yeah. the trace, yes. Them. Yes. Mm. I mean, it's very, it's obviously on all our minds at the moment, these appalling situations. So, then the third, the, the third sort of story, um, or third area, really, the stories of Cairo and the Middle East, that you, you've, I felt I'd experienced the atmosphere of Cairo as it Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. ...to be down to the cigarette smoke and um, <laughs> a family friend, fox hunting in the Egyptian desert. Item one tortoiseshell bag, the narrator's mother's lover, 50 years on. That's a wonderful portrait, yes. That's um, the nearest, I'm afraid, to real life. <laughs> well, Sometimes I don't change very much. That's very close to real life. Really? This sort of, this man appeared, sort of wrote me a, it's very like the story, wrote me a le handwritten letter and said, I knew your mother, what a wonderful woman she was, you know. And I thought, hmm, that's a sort of strange, you know. So I, normally I would just answer, but I actually rang him up and um, met him, and so it's pretty close, actually. It was really quite, some, quite an awful experience. <laughs> <laughs> a rare visit. And then Sing For Me, which I thought was wonderful, where a, a, a soldier father is challenged by his daughter to testify. That, that one, that was where, why I started, I, I suggested to you, you read, because we're both interested in this business of who is in charge of telling history, actually. Mm, absolutely, okay. yes. Because you're, you're, you're um, I mean, the, the, the story that's harder for you to read because it's very long and elaborate, the Berlin story, yes. that's totally involved in... How much can you forgive? Yeah. Um, I mean, no, no, mm. it's, it's forgetting and remembering. And at mm. certain points in any nation's history, they need to forget for a while. They can't survive unless mm. they just mm. do the denial. And, but then after a while, they have to remember mm. and it has to mm -hmm. come up. Well, it's I think the principle in some ways, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in, in South Africa yes. had an amazing idea, which of course was a Christian idea, um, or is a Christian idea. Yes, that was. Um, but it's left a lot, a wake of you know, difficulties and real agony because a lot of people got off scot-free and people don't like that. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the mechanism of did actually... You, did you hear Nicholas Wright's play on radio? Because I went no, to see no, it. No, no. The, um, oh, no. It was on exactly this theme. Yes, it took yes. the, um, the theme of truth and reconciliation. Mm. Yes, it was. It was a, a, ca a case. And yes. Yes. No. Because it's. Um, I mean, I've been to South Africa not that long ago, actually, and they're now having this campaign to bring down um, Cecil Rhodes, who was the founder of South yes. Africa, and there was a huge demonstration going on at the university when I was there. 
and they did actually take the statue down um, immediately. The, the university officials decided it was all getting... Um, and, the, and so that was a kind of way that people were demanding the story be rewritten. The oh. history has to be told. Oh. But then you can't just live in that grudge, what Seamus Heaney called the grudge, not the, you know, oh. he said this marvellous thing, it's the grief, not the grievance that matters, oh. you know, which yeah. is a very beautiful play yes. on words, you know, yeah. against the grudge, um, oh. for, for mourning, for, for grieving, but not for just, you know, the constant... Uh, working right. on the old grudge yeah. to... Um, or it burns you up. It yes. burns you up, yes, mm. yes. But it's a terribly <laughs> difficult balance. We don't, at what point do you let go? Someone told me that the Frozen story, Let It Go, the Frozen song, the anthem of Frozen, <laughs> has been translated into hundreds of languages, including Latin. <laughs> and it's got this sort of idea of let it go. I mean, I don't want to bring in Disney. You don't know it in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it just struck me that somebody bothered to translate into Latin. It was very strange. This let it go idea. But I, I, we don't know. I mean, obviously, Disney's not what we should follow. Yeah. But um, do, you, do you want me to just quickly Please, read that well, tiny bit, a tiny bit? You, well, Ellen suggested I read because it's this, this. It's about this. Um, it's a song. Uh, it's a story called Sing for Me. <coughs> You, 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 were you were telling me yes. how that came to be written. Yes. Well, this is fact from fact to fiction. Some of you in the room, if you're writers, may have done it. It's the it's the week uh, the, the the weekly play that they you you're, you get given on Monday on radio on the ra on Radio Four. You get given on Monday um, what they think are going to be the main news stories, and that's of course changes. It doesn't you know mm -hmm. always work out. But um, and then you're told to write a 15-minute short story. Um, which will be broadcast, recorded on the Thursday and broadcast on the Friday. So you have to write very fast. They help you a bit with research. And in my case, it was the time when the Palestinian boat that had bringing aid to Gaza, um, the inquiry that had been held into the deaths of the people on board when the Israeli commandos boarded it and shot a few people, that inquiry had been, um, was going to be announced that week. Mm. And so I decided to do it on that. And then something else happened, and it was totally buried. The story just vanished from the newspapers. So they weren't very happy, but the BBC. And they tried to make it about something else. So they actually, it was quite interesting, because I did go over length, but they managed to snip it, the, the recording, and they so that it actually was, it absolutely didn't seem to be about Israel-Palestine at all. It seemed to be about sort of some generic massacre, you know. They so cut the specifics, but yeah, this is what I think specifics, really yeah. good short stories do, is, is in the end, the specifics can be cut because they're getting to the mm. song heart of it, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's, mm. that's what this one mm. does, I mm. think. Mm. I mean, it wasn't certain that they was on purpose. I mean, it was obviously that the story had ceased to be important. Mm. The combination of things. One couldn't sort of say, you know, there was actually a censor there with, you know, but the effect was different. I think it's more interesting. Yeah, yeah. and it became much more about South Africa. Somehow, the way it was received, it seemed to be about South Africa. <laughs> it was written in voices um, when it was on the radio, and then I slanted it when I reworked it for this collection. I slanted it through the mind of the mother, and she is based on. Uh, it's based on Herod and Salome. That's why it's called Sing For Me, so, like Dance For Me. So she's, as it were, Herod's wife. When they took place, the events in that small place, he was much younger. He was acting under orders from men and women higher in rank than him. It was a long time ago. He would say to us, it depends who's doing the remembering and of what, doesn't it? 
History matters, but who the historians are matters more. I always ask, who's telling this story? Whose voice am I hearing? Do I want to listen to other people's stories? To throw good money after their stories? I know what they want to say about the maneuvers. I know what they'll want to say. What about their constant low-grade shelling, their endless attacks on us? Haven't we suffered 10 times, 100 times more for as long, if not longer? Besides, many other things have happened since, terrible things. We were at war, for God's sake. We were making the peace. And they have a teenage daughter who, um, they discover, gradually is, has got involved in activism. Um, and, um, and so at the very end, it's, her birth, it's his birthday, and he asks, um, he asks her. He came back and he said to her, it'll be my birthday soon. I'm going to be 45 years old, 45 an old man. I want you to do something for me. His voice was soft and kind. The day you were born, I was away. I heard the news on the phone in the camp. I remember I cried. I cried, I did. Go on, cheer up your old father on his birthday. Sing something for me. You used to sing. You sing so nicely when you want to. Sing for me an old song, a song I remember from when I was your age. That way I'll feel young again. She was smiling, she was playing to his tune, and for a moment I was tranquil. We were going to be a family again. She said, and if I sing, Father, will you give me something I really want? Of course, he said, anything. I swear by everything that's holy. He was laughing, and he would have given her the moon and the stars. He offered her a car, an iPod, you name it. And she was shaking her head, still smiling. No, nothing like that, she said. I want something instead that means something to you, to us all. That's my girl. He was beaming. I could feel her fierceness, like a riptide rising, and he was in the water, and he didn't know it. I felt a hollow under my ribs, and a bird caged there flew up and out, and I was holding onto her arm, my daughter's arm, and walking with her towards him, and I didn't let go but squeezed her and felt how thin her whole frame is, my daughter's body so thin, when she went up to him and she put her hand in his and told him he had to testify. And then at the very end you wanted me to... When she speaks like that, when my daughter speaks, it is as if she's inside me, voicing my trapped soul. I feel it flutter like a bird trying out its wings, that a child should give breath to the parent. Isn't that against nature? <laughs> I did want to ask you a question from the beginning of your. When, when did you first read a short story that you really, that you, as there was a sort of, as it were, built of recognition? Was it? Um, I think you read a lot of short stories as a child, don't you? You do read the fairy tales. So you, you, mm, that's yes. the form they're presented in. Mm. And very often children's books, the chapters are written in discrete yes, stories. Right. Yes, which, yes, uh, yes. So that they're good for reading. Yes. Like, I think I remember reading O. Henry when I was sort of a, a oh, child. Oh, yes, yes. And finding them, yes, so I can see the yes, point of these. Yes, well, yes. That, that, that but that's then, the twist, the story yes, with the twist. They, then there was one, she was so horrible, I stopped reading them. It was, it was, it was um, that, that, O. Henry was the one where uh, there's a young couple and they're very hard up and it's Christmas and they both want to give each other a present. She's got lovely long hair 
and he's, what's, what's, what's he got? He's got something, a cigar cutter or something, yeah, I don't know. But, yes, yes. Um, but she has, she, she sells her hair in order to buy him a, whatever it was. What was it? Yes, that's right. What, what is it? It was a watch. A watch, a watch. that's right, a watch chain. Yes. <laughs> and he sells his watch in order to buy her a hair slide. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, that's the... Don't market yes, really, yes, because and that's had the, another one mm, like that. But. And the, that's the, the way that, I mean, you know, you're a superb craft writer, but it's, I, I mean, craft, work, work, you know, woman, and it's... And, of course, that was the old way of doing it with these sort of twists mm. and neat endings, and, but yours are much more sort of but elusive. They encapsulated much the times as well. I mean, mm. that was uh, the poverty, but also the one that put me off was, um, I think it was women living on a, a stairwell and moaning to each other and one had a black eye and her husband had been beating her up and oh it happens every Saturday night he goes out for a drink and comes back and the other one oh and then so I'm reading this and thinking I, I, I suppose I was about 10 or so but mm. the, um, then this this other woman she's jealous because she hasn't got a black eye so she she sort of keeps goading <laughs> the husband and she keeps goading him and goading him and, so, well, and he said well what do you want me to do and, and she sort of She's, she's sort of basically saying, well, if you love me, you beat me up, you know. I thought, ugh. <laughs> and it was a bit like the Russian story when, yes, I, was, when I was doing yes. that one. Um, I, uh, every, when you're writing a story mm. on a place, everything flies towards you. And from the paper, I remember reading some piece about, oh, women now in Russia, the, the, these, the, the women in Moscow, the, the business women, really. But even then, there's abuse going on in, within relationships. Mm. It's seen as... If, and the, the, the proverb is, if he, if he beats you, he loves you. Yes, yes. So it's, it's yes. a sort of machismo, mm. Actually, in, in some, um, macho, yeah. macho and mm. um, masochism. Mm. They, they, they go together yes, somehow. Yes, well, so. we've seen a lot of that. Mm. Um, very perplexing uh, rise of interest in cruelty, mm. um, sexual cruelty. Mm. But, I mean, I remember Saki, for example. Yeah. I mean, that was a great craze at home, at school and at home, Saki. Saki, I remember. Yeah. Yes, mm. in teen mm. years, and thinking mm. he was incredibly stylish mm. and cool, but he's so cruel. Yes, and Roald Dahl came out when I was young. Yes. You were a child when he came out, but I remember Kiss Kiss, and they were such... A, and that, again, were these very clever, twisted stories. The woman who yeah. murders her husband with a frozen leg of lamb. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then puts it in the oven and serves it to the policeman. Who yes. <laughs> It does make one laugh, but it's not quite our genre. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. But then, of course, there are all these extraordinary, marvellous writers like um, Elizabeth Bowen, and, um, well, in particular, I love Elizabeth Bowen's short stories. Yes, well, she has, I think, the strongest sense of place of any writer. Yes, really. and the uh, under so houses, yes. Great kinship there. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, I've only met those, those early ones, yes. because you said yes. how early on. Yes, yes, and I was just wondering if you had a yes. sort of recognition that this was going to be your... Mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously a lot of drama in your, in your writing. I mean, there's a lot of dramatic dialogue. Mm -hmm. And you have done some, or you've had some adapted. I think. Yes, but you've written plays too, haven't you? No, never, no. I tried I to write a play a long time. Play, yes, I, well, they were like polyphon, sort of. I've written quite a few radio stories that are just voices. Yes. It's a very good medium for that. Yes. Mm. But you have lots of voices off the page, just straight off the page. So, well, questions, questions. I was wondering, or I was very interested in Maria's comment about the idea that a short story is a way of navigating into the pain or, or exploring horror, if you like, as a way of avoiding it in real life. Um, and I wonder how you navigate the risk of 
alienating your reader in the process, that it's not so horrific that you actually turn your reader away from it. Hmm. I think that, I mean, I think that pro there's probably a fluctuation in people's appetites for, um, but I've noticed that um, it, it, at present there's a huge rise in mythic Greek tragedy. Um, and I think well, it's... In theatre. In theatre, mm. yes. But uh, also a little bit in longer fiction, but not very long fiction, sort of novella-length fiction. Um, there's been quite a lot of rewritings of different stories, Jason and Medea and the Odyssey and the Odyssey is not so horrific actually but um, the Iliad in particular seems to be and I think it's it is a barometer of the times actually and you know the, they performed the Iliad at the British Museum and then onto the Almeida mm. in the summer did any of you go to it they got 32,000 people I mean they were absolutely astonished I think that's right I may be wrong with the figures I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. They'd expected a sort of trickle of a few hundred people all day long. And the Iliad is a sort of cruelty, really. And they chose a translation that's really tough. I mean, the toughest, hardest translation, which makes English sound like sort of the percussion section of an orchestra. You know, it's really clash on steel. And people were just really, really wanting that. And I think it's a principle of inoculation. It's a sort of homeopathy. You know, you... You take a dose of the, and then you hope that somehow there's a recognition there that will stay, keep it at bay. Face that, that yeah. won't happen. Mm. Yeah, but, but I'm afraid it doesn't work, does it? I mean, we've just seen it happen again. And, uh, and there is a kind of, yeah, the catharsis doesn't work. I mean, not that, of course, any of the government went to hear this, but <laughs> even if they had, one doesn't, know, doesn't think that it would have worked. Because there's a sort of, you know, guerrilla-thumping sort of release in, in going to war again rather than doing the difficult thing, the slippery, difficult thing of talking and trying and manoeuvring. And uh, hi. Uh, I was uh, rereading this, I think it's earlier, connection, and, uh, and, one, and hearing as well fragments from here, it made me think of how um, you know, we're thought that fiction, uh, um, writing, has always a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And uh, in the middle there's some, always some big change or some uh, dramatic, uh, climax that forces change onto the narrative and the characters, but uh, but I feel that your stories don't often do that. Uh, they're most like they, they they sometimes seem to be quite um, still. Maybe the characters don't seem to to change perhaps that much by the end of the narrative, and and yet you can't say that they're just you know um, that there's no movement or, or no change at all. So I, I was just thinking about that. You sound like Galsworthy when he talked about Chekhov, and he said he said. He's all middle, like a tortoise. <laughs> and, it's, and it's partly why I like the story. You can, you can sit on the fence. You, I, I, every now and then, I love theatre, I love plays, I, um, that economy, that speed, um, setting a situation and then driving it for... But the, what I resist about writing the theatre, really, they have to sort it out, as you say. It has to, and it, I so often find it disappointing in theatre. The, the, the force, the, the, you know, the surge towards resolution, and the, however it's tied up, it's, it's, it very, it's, it's usually the most disappointing bit is the end of any play. Um, you, one knows that, but, but it's, it's only a real master who can manage to finish the whole thing. It's the pressure within the form, yeah, that I've resisted. Yeah. I think there's a sense in which you know that image of the core sample that actually what happens is you go in at greater depth 
into a situation. So it's you that moves rather than the, you know, you learn more. I mean, the reader learns more. Um, I mean, there's a sort of an unfolding of a situation with these kind of this play of tensions, especially between uh, husbands and wives and parents and children. And it's a process a of amplification mm. sometimes, isn't it? It's, it's from a detail, from... Mm. Do you sometimes think there is a, an, a, a visual um, comparison that one could make? I mean, in the sense that um, when you look at a painting, it doesn't have a, you know, a dramatic, um, it doesn't move, I mean, it, but it... But it well, that's, uh, when, when, I don't know, when you write, with a story, if I can put all the sheets of paper on the floor and see them all together, then I know that's the length of a short story. The, the Berlin story just went round the corner. I just couldn't get it <laughs> on the floor. And I thought, that's almost not a story anymore. Mm. But I need to be able to see the whole thing, as you say, as a picture. Yeah, just to know mm. where it needs lift, where it needs something happening there, mm. where it needs a bit of yellow down there, mm. you know. It's, it, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the ways that, you know, in your, in, this is one of the, my former students, so Gabby, so I know it's... Oh. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, her question sort of uh, um, asks about, actually you, you, you kind of illuminate very well in Berlin, in which the unfolding of the opera on the stage, do you want to describe it? You describe it. No, you do. No, I, I no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know what. No. No, well, I'm going to miss out a few bits because it's, mm -hmm. it's 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 got a, it's got a tripartite at least, possibly fourfold uh, structure. So it's not just it's not counterpoint of two voices, but several. And and in that oh, the, the, the the um, the unfolding of the opera on stage, it's at first seems completely alien and absolutely unconnected to what is going on in the married couple, who've inherited these tickets and don't really want to go to the, see the whole of the ring at all, especially him. Um, and then gradually the reader begins to realize that even in spite of this fact that it's all, you know, these uh, mythological sort of Valkyries and God knows what on stage, that actually there's a counterpoint that their marital discord mm -hmm. is sort of like the, you know, there's a, there's a, a reciprocity. So though nothing dramatic happens, as is happening on stage, oh. you, it's all illuminated. The marriage is illuminated within. Yes, and, and the notes they've been given, mm -hmm. the opera notes, are, are on Germany. So you, it's a, <laughs> that was a lovely way of sliding in mm -hmm. sort of pieces of information. And they go on a coach tour at some point, but we hear yeah. about that. Yes. Um, and it's, yes, there's a guide who keeps saying, shall we remember, shall we forget? And, um, <laughs> but that's, that's part of the theme. Yes, that's, yes, uh, and mm -hmm. it's... it's so it's, yes, I see what you mean. It's, it's, um, it's not resolving anything, no, but, but it's layering it, it and yes. amplifying it. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, I guess I was just wondering how you wrestle with the temptation to write yourself into your stories or whether you do wrestle with that temptation and maybe how, through, as your writing career has developed, how that temptation has changed. Well, I think the first thing is you're not writing your diary. Um, fiction is... it's. It's not about you. <laughs> um, mm. it, it can be the way someone comes to writing. They want to express what they're feeling or whatever. But oh, it, you've, yes, you've got to have the, you've got to have the motive force and the feeling and the the interest in what you're writing about. But once you've got that, put yourself aside. You, you, you've got your material, and then you stand back and you look and you think, what's the best way to tell this? What's um, you know, what, what shape is this going to have? How can I really bring, bring that into focus um, and, and bring that emotion up into the... Uh, you you yeah, said so something your daughter said that was very good, I thought. 
about about oh well no when you're when you're writing um but children, I think people's children, Marina, God, no, uh, it's writers and their children, writers and their families. Can you think of anything more embarrassing than seeing your parents' imaginations? Yes. In public, you know, working out in public. I mean, it must be hideous. Did you do that, Mummy? Did you really do that? <laughs> well, no, they don't tend to, but they don't tend to say that. They, no, but the only thing my, my daughter once said to me, oh, it's, it's like a weird dream. I'm, I'm sort of recognising bits of that, but it's all completely different. But the other part of your question is very interesting too. I mean, the because this is the, obviously this autobiographical um, um, question now has you know a relationship to the public because people uh, really want that. They want sincerity. They, they're very very antagonistic to. But you could be sincere the, without mm, this. Mm, but, they, but there's a lot of bad reading that has to do with wanting yes, it to be true. Authenticity is true. seen as having literally taken place. Yes, I, can't, yes. I mean that seems to yes. me so. Mm. Yes. Well, it's so limiting. Yes. It only allows for one story mm. from each person. But I think the other, the sort of second half of the question was about how now that you're a sort of you know well-known writer, how that does that mean that the opportunities for experience that you can put in stories becomes a bit limited? I mean, I don't think it's happened at all in your case, but it certainly to happens. Me, in, it, yeah, you, you've found it. So, or, no, no, I'm just saying that, no. say, that this is. It, it does happen to some writers. You do feel that. They no longer have any material because everywhere they go, they're acclaimed, you know, so they, they just never have an ordinary relationship with anybody. I, I got really interested in climate change then and read the science. And but then again, reading that and trying to find something mm. in the material that could be used mm. could... Um, but that... I don't... I'd use... I don't, I don't know. There were the stories using men and women and the, what was going on between mm. them to figure, to explore more of this science mm -hmm. theme, but um, I, I don't see that's autobiographical. I think it's just using mm. everything in your, mm. everything you've experienced ever and read. Mm. Well, what you read as well becomes part of you. Yes. You know, it's what you know mm. and... Um, mm. And I think that one, you know, and I what mean... You, and what you experience through art, I think what you, what you experience vicariously, that's what I again try to do in Berlin, what, what you actually, you can live very violently at the theatre or <laughs> in various art forms mm. as, as, a, uh, as a sort of participant. Oh. Mm. Um, and that becomes part of you too. Mm. When you, you say about the Greek tragedy, yes. people who've really watched and understood and, you know, th then they're changed in some way. Mm. One hopes so in some ways, yes. Well, you have a, you have a few indifferent characters, don't you? You have characters who aren't. Oh, well, we all got blind spots. Yes, different mm, things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask both of you how you feel about the process of being. Hmm. Well, if you don't know with a short story, <coughs> I, I don't think short stories um, possibly need editing as much as novels. I, I can't see that if if you're not on top of it and know what you're doing with a, a piece of that distance, then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I think the thing is that um, you, you kind of earn your, your decisions. Um, and how that process happens, I don't quite know. I suppose you manage to get, one manages to get published a little bit and then you're able to put your foot down a bit more and so forth. Do people uh, try and mess around with your stories or? Well, um, not really with the stories, no. I mean, well, that's, yeah. yeah, I mean, I... They have sometimes tried to edit some other things, and I'm, I'm afraid it's Americans. 
I, 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 I sent, I sent an essay. They're all, they're all trying to be whatever it is called. They're not what, the fact checker. What's, yes, what's he called? The um, Raymond Carver editor. Yes, yes. They're all trying to be that. Yeah. And um, and sometimes they have a very heavy explanatory tendency. They want to explain things. T. S. Eliot, the poet, Anglo-American poet. You know, this, <laughs> this sort of thing, which is very, very, um, very un intolerable. So I've had, so I've had some bitter wrangles with American editors. But over over essays or over essays, stories? yes, 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 essays. Mm, yes, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I actually like being edited. I like things being pointed out to me. You know, what do you mean here? And I like I like having that little marginal. You know, you could do that now on PDFs. You can, you know, little marginal questions. I like it. Do you really mean this? Because I, I want to know how the reader feels about it, but I yes. don't want to be told to, you know, you have to say Ludwig Wittgenstein, who was, you know. <laughs> mm. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. <laughs>